0: Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church online. The sermon you're about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church, to know, to live and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Jesus Christ's ultimate power. Jesus Christ's ultimate power, Mark 5. 40 to 43, we're finishing this, this <laughs> passage finally. We've been in Mark chapter 4 and 5 talking about Jesus' power. We saw Jesus' power over nature. We saw Jesus Christ's power over the supernatural, over sickness, over death. And he's teaching his disciples and us a very important lesson on faith. How will we handle the trials of our life? Will we handle them with fear or with faith? And with, this is really the third part. We've been talking about Jesus Christ's power over death is the fourth part, or the fourth thing that he had power over. And this is part three of this passage. If you weren't here for the last couple Sundays, get the CDs, because they all build on each other. This is like the frosting on the cake today. <clears throat> but basically, Jairus comes to Jesus. His daughter's in critical condition. She needs healing. Jesus takes a detour. He takes a detour, and he heals a sick woman on the way. The girl dies, meanwhile, and now the father is really facing a trial of faith, a very serious trial of faith now that he's, he's, this crisis of faith that he's dealing with, and then Jesus finally arrives, and he says, the girl's just sleeping. Once again, if you weren't here, get the CD, a lot of wild stuff that uh, was part of this passage, setting this up, but this picture of her sleeping is a picture of how we should all view death as Christians. If we're Christians, we put our faith in Jesus Christ. This is how we can all view death. with just sleeping. And now we come to the exciting conclusion of this passage. But first, I want to give you an update on a story I shared a couple of weeks ago. Remember the story of the guy who uh, died in Mississippi, but he wasn't really dead? Remember that whole story? And that was a couple weeks ago I shared that, but we have more to the story here. Uh, apparently, if you weren't here, he wasn't re- the guy wasn't really dead. The coroner must have been in a hurry or something, he had a lunch date, who knows, you know. Sticks him in the body bag, they take him to the, the morgue, and uh, then he ends up waking up in the funeral home. Well, this is the end of the story. If, if, if you're following the news, Mississippi man who awoke in body bag dies two weeks later. Walter Williams, the Mississippi man who returned to life after being pronounced dead about two weeks ago, died on Thursday. He was 78. His nephew, remember Eddie Hester, who we talked about before, said, they came and got him around 4.15 a.m. I think he's gone this time. The coroner, Dexter Howard, he was the same one who declared him, the, the coroner who came to get him was the same guy who declared him dead on February 26th. His name was uh, Dexter Howard. There was no pulse. He was talking about the, in February 26th, a couple weeks ago, he said, there was no pulse, he was lifeless. He completed the paperwork, placed Williams in a body bag, and transported him to the funeral home. There something strange happened. The body bag moved. I was in shock, the coroner said. We got him into the embalming room, and we noticed his legs beginning to move, like kicking. He also began to do a little breathing. An ambulance was called. Paramedics arrived, transported him to the hospital. He was released a few days later. Now here we are two weeks later. Uh, The nephew, uh, Hester, said... It was a two-week miracle for me. I enjoyed every minute of it, and my family did too. So, so they, they had this two-week miracle. Well, the miracle that we're going to look at today in Scripture is a, a much different miracle. It's a real miracle. This girl really was dead for sure, and her resurrection came with a lifetime guarantee. In fact, we all know where the guarantee goes. If you were here last week, it's, it's beyond a lifetime guarantee, right? So, let me start with prayer. Father, we just thank you for the worship today. Thank you for the the prayer that, that they prayed was so meaningful. We thank you for bringing each person here, the group from MIT and every one of us that's here today. We know we're all here for a reason. Your spirit wants to speak to each one of us. We pray that your spirit would speak through your word now. We ask for your mercy and grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me just read the passage again. In Mark, we're going to read the passage, Mark 5 35, where he says, While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone else. Follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave them strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So we're just going to focus on verses 40 to 43 where it starts out. Um, he says the child was not dead but just asleep, but they laughed at him. So we'll go right to verse 40 there. So they laugh at him. They went from, isn't every funny thing interesting with that? They're just crying and weeping over this poor little girl who died, and then they laugh. Anybody find that strange? I mean, you go into a a funeral where where everybody's crying and you tell a joke, nobody's going to laugh. They're going to throw you out of there, right? Don't try it, all right? But obviously, they went from wailing to laughing like that. Obviously, it was fake grief. It was false grief. And if you were here last week, you know why this was false grief. Remember the professional mourners that were in the culture? That's why all the people were there wailing and everything. There was professional mourners, and they would swoop in already. If you were here last week, you know what happened. They swoop in wherever there's a funeral going to happen, like vultures, and they work the crowd over, they get everybody into this big commotion, and the whole time they have their hand out begging for money. That's how they made their money, this this whole professional team making a buck on, on grief. And they don't want the girl to be alive. Because that will cost them their gig and some money here. They don't even want her to be alive. But they're also insulted that they're also insulted that Jesus is questioning their expertise. Remember he walked in what did he say to them? Why are you all crying? She's asleep. And that had to hurt their pride because they're like, we know when somebody's dead. We do this for a living, right? We know. That's why we're here. And hands out, you know, trying to get the money. So they're, they're, that's what causes them to scoff. But the scoffing is also a picture. Many people scoff at the power of Jesus Christ. That's what they're scoffing at. That's what they're laughing at, that Jesus, at his power. And many scoff at the power of Jesus Christ. They did then, and they do it now. In fact, it's getting a lot worse. You don't have to read the, you just read the news, and you can see the scriptures coming alive, what's going to happen at the end times. We're seeing in our country, it's getting a lot, lot worse. It's going to get a lot, lot worse. In fact, in Second Peter, in 2 Peter Two verses three and four talks about this scoffing, where he says, First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say they will say, Where is this coming he promised? So they're scoffing, and where's, Je- where's this Jesus who said he's coming again? Where is he? And, and scoffing at Jesus. And we also see in first second uh, uh, Timothy three and second Timothy three Verses 1 to 5, we see the, the picture of what the scoffing and, and the outbreak of the scoffing, what it's going to give birth to. It says this, but mark this. It, there will be terrible times in the last days. And that all you have to do is live in our society and see this coming to, 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 to fruition, the, the marks of the end time and, and what the scoffing is giving birth to. And we see this scoffing and its effects in the United States today. You heard what some of the stuff tower shared, human trafficking and people not knowing, Jesus, knowing who Jesus is. It's all parts of this scoffing that's happening. People in the U.S. today they, they laugh at Jesus Christ and they laugh at its power and they laugh at anybody who's stupid enough to believe in this Jesus guy, Right? Who was he anyway? And, and Jesus didn't create us. We came from monkeys. Or, or some alien landed and, and named Prometheus and, and shoots off some cells. And, and, you know, that's where we all came from, right? Is, uh, by the way, I like the movie. But anyway, the, uh, the, the, you know, it's just crazy the thinking that you know, they scoff that Jesus doesn't have the power to create us. But we know John 1.3. In John 1.3 it says... Through him all things were made. And without him nothing was made that has been made. John 1, 3, no, we, the power of Jesus Christ created us. We are created by him. And, and they scoff at Jesus' power to change us. You, you, he can't change anybody. We, we're stuck the way they were. I was born this way. I can't change. And God doesn't expect me to. He likes me this way. I, I can be, live any way I want. And, and God's going to accept that. We, listen, listen, let me fill you in on something. We were all born some way. We were all born in a bad way. Every one of us has has struggles and a sinful flesh and a sinful nature that rebels against God. Every one of us has weakness and vulnerabilities. But that's why Jesus Christ came to die for us. Because he knows how we were born and how we're living. And he came to to die for us and to share his resurrection power with us so that we don't have to keep on living the way that, that we were when Jesus Christ came and saved us. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, one of my favorite verses, and, and you've heard it many times if you've been in our church. But 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, talks about the resurrection power and what it means to us today. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what we were. We were we, I, we could add to that list in our church, right? We could triple that list very easily at this church, and I'd be one of the top ones. We, that's what we. But that's what, we were all that. But that's what we were. But what, what, what happened? He washed us with the blood of Jesus Christ. He sanctified us, meaning he set apart and started the process of making us holy. He, he justified us. When, when God looks at us, if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, it's just as if I never sinned. Justification just as if we've never sinned. That's what he's done for us. At salvation, the Holy Spirit comes within us, and we share in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The proof that Jesus died from the dead is the proof that we have the resurrection power to live this brand new life. It's what we were. And we, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in, the transformation process begins. Now, we're not perfect until we get to heaven, but, but the progress begins. It's not about perfection. It's about progress. That transformation process begins. And as we live by faith, just as we're saved by faith, we're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith. We put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's all him. It's the same thing goes for living it. We live by faith too. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. In the Son of God. Just like you say, God, I, I cannot I cannot get rid of the sin of my life. I don't deserve to be with your Father in heaven someday. I, Jesus, I, I don't deserve that. I know you died on the cross in my place. I put my faith in your Son. Father, I put my faith in your Son, Jesus, to forgive me and to give me a brand new life. When Just as we do that for salvation, it's the same thing for sanctification. It's the same thing for the daily living. We have to depend on God. I can't live this Christian life. We keep falling on our face over and over. Oh, do we give up? No. By faith, we say, "I believe your word is true. I believe you can start to change me. I believe that that the, 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 the sanctification, that my position of sanctification, can can progressively. I can realize that progressively. And, and we let God transform us. And every day, say, God, please forgive me for what I just gave into, or what I just thought, or what I, the lie I just listened to. And God, by faith." I'm going to trust you by faith. I'm going to walk away from this by faith. And it's a daily, daily, hourly, minute-by-minute, second-by-second dependence on God by faith. We live by faith. And we live by faith, and that's how we realize his resurrection power in our life. But these people scoffed at Jesus. Back in, Roman, uh, back in Mark chapter 5, they scoff at Jesus. So look at verse 40, what happens. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, He took the child's father, mother, and the disciples who were with them and went in where their child was. What happens with them? They scoffed at his power. He wouldn't even let them see the miracle happen. He shuts them out. They missed out on what God was doing through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what unbelief does. Unbelief keeps us from seeing God's power. We miss out on it. We miss out on God's working in our life. We miss out on healings and His transforming power. We miss out when we when we have unbelief, and we also miss out when He's working somewhere else in someone else. If we have that unbelief, we miss out. We fail to see it. We fail to realize it. We even deny it when it happens. Linnell's not here today. You know, where is? several families are with him. He's speaking at a, a, a church uh, in Clinton, New Jersey, with Pastor Nathan. And he's speaking about how he's sharing his story, how he's lived for 25 years with AIDS, and, and, and how he became a Christian 13 years ago, and, and God has, has, has transformed him. And he's lived free of the old life that gave him the AIDS. And, but I mean, I, he's had more people say, no, that's not true, no, you can't change. They deny the power. He goes, his testimony is the same power that kept me alive for 25 years with AIDS, and when he got it, it was a death sentence is the same power that's allowed me to transform the life it's the same power but people deny that and they're missing it It's like the Pharisees, the Pharisees saw the same miracles that the disciples did but what happened their hearts were hard and that kept them from putting their faith in Jesus and seeing his power back to verses back to mark chapter 5 here verse 41. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Talitha kum, Arama- it's an Aramaic word for, get up, girl. No, seriously, that's what it is. It's an exclamation. It's an exclamation. Get up, girl. That's what he's saying to her. But it's Aramaic. You see, uh, Jesus, the Jews could, could speak Hebrew their main language. But by now, very few people were speaking Hebrew. Only the the, um, it was only knew, known and used by the religious or the super-educated people. MIT kids uh, at this time were speaking uh, uh, Hebrew still. But, uh, but think of um, uh, R- Roman Catholic priests in Latin. You know, they, they were the only ones who kind of knew Latin, and some of the educated Catholics would know Latin. That's the picture of what was going on at this point with Hebrew. Very few people knew it, just the, uh, the real religious educated people. The Bible itself was written in... The New Testament was written in Greek. Okay, Greek. Greek was the literary cultural language of the day. That if you were going to write something important, you wrote it in Greek. Because that was like the, the cultural language, the literary language that, that they everybody used to write. Think of in the 1700s, 1800s, French. Everything had to be written in French, okay? But... Even though Hebrew was the, the, the official language of Israel and the Bible was written in Greek, most people spoke Aramaic. In fact, Jesus, although he could speak Hebrew and, and Greek, he spoke mostly Aramaic. That's what people in this time spoke, Aramaic. That was the street language. That was the language that most people use. Think of English today. Most, if you go around the world, you can usually communicate with people, somebody in almost every country using English. That was kind of like the street language of the time. So he says in an Aramaic, "Girl, get up," and and uh, she did. She stood up and she walks around. She jumps up and she says, "What's all this noise? Am I missing a party?" You know, she's missing a party, right? And they were astonished. They were shocked. In fact, the Greek word here for astonished actually means amazed with great amazement. That's that's the intensity. They're trying to you know that's what the intensity of the word is: amazed with great amazement. And that's how. And I'm, I'm trying to give you a picture of how shocked they must have been. And I have a story. I saved it in the news from a couple years ago. And I think this story brings out what these parents must have felt. Argentina, April 2012. Grieving parents find baby alive in morgue. Five doctors in Argentina have been suspended for declaring a baby stillborn nailing her inside a coffin and placing her in a refrigerated room at the hospital morgue for 12 hours. The child whose name, uh, uh, I don't know how to say it in the Spanish, but it means Light Miracle, was found inside... Or was it Portuguese? Well, anyway. Uh, light Miracle was found inside a coffin a half day after her April 3rd birthday. The baby's mother, who has four boys said she never had a chance to say goodbye to her first daughter since she had been sedated during the birth, which came three months premature. So she didn't get to say goodbye to the baby. It was declared dead. The grieving mother and father visited the hospital morgue 12 hours later. They were led into a refrigerated room and shown a tiny coffin, which was nailed shut. My husband used a lever and opened the coffin. He prized the coffin open. The mother, expecting to find... Closure instead came face to face with her daughter who was wrapped in a white blanket and looked at as though she was just waking up, said the mother. The baby stretched and let out a cry. The mother of five said she fell to her knees. Imagine that experience. Her only little girl given back to her. Now you have a picture of what these parents experienced. Why they experienced a total amazement and total shock. That's a picture of what happened. And then Jesus gives them strict orders. He says, don't let anyone know about this. <laughs> I love these parts of the Bible. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, you can all go home. Party's over. Uh, pay the whalers off Uh, she's just sleeping it was all a big mistake imagine it you know what happened the word gets out It, it gets out every time here but and then jesus says but what was he trying to do remember the whole theme of Mark. one of the main themes the secret messiah the lone ranger it's not his time yet once it gets out that he's the, the Messiah, the Pharisees are going to try to kill him. The clock is ticking. He knows he has three years of ministry before he shows his face because he knows he's going to be crucified. So it's a secret Messiah. He keeps it secret as long as he can. He's on God's timetable. We've talked about this many times. And then he says to feed her. Well, she's probably starving. She was sick, and who knows when the last time she ate was, right? Uh, starved, feed a cold, starve a fever. Wait, what is that? Well, anyway, she hasn't eaten. But... He's also primarily trying to assure people that she's not a ghost, right? Because ghosts don't eat, you know, or she's not a zombie because ghosts don't, or zombies don't eat food. They just eat. Well, we won't go into that. But anyway, the, uh, but he's convincing them that she's for real. She can eat. And Jesus has power over death. That's what he's showing here. Jesus Christ has power over death. He broke up every funeral that he ever went to. He broke up this it's true. Every look, read the Bible. Every funeral he's at, he breaks it up. This one, the widow's son in Luke, Lazarus, even his own. You know? He breaks up every funeral. Every funeral. And one of the big questions I hear a lot from people, we're talking about Jesus' power. Why did God let so and so die? Something we all struggle with, isn't it? I've, heard, I've asked it many times, and you've asked me many times, and we don't know why God allows cert, certain people. We you know when they get old, and it's natural, and they die, but when they die, when we don't expect it, why does God let that happen? We don't know. There's a big car accident, and did you see that? what happened in the paper? The car crash and the car's burning up, and I'm like, oh. Does God let this happen we don't know but we do know that Jesus Christ has power over death he proved it here he proved it by his own resurrection and we know that no matter when we die that death is not the end of life but the beginning of eternal life with God we really focused on that last week get the cd go on the podcast we have we have experienced some heartbreaking losses in this church if you've been here all 13 and a half years you know what I'm talking about we've lost some people that we weren't ready to say goodbye to some heartbreaking losses everybody here has but based on what Jesus says here they are not dead think of the people we've lost they are not dead they're more alive this morning than they ever were when they sat here with us in church they're not dead And we will all live with Jesus Christ someday in heaven if we have put our faith in him. Because Jesus Christ's death on the cross opened the door to life for us. A real life here. And a real life forever with God. Not just eternal life, but a real life here that we can finally start to begin to live the life we were meant to live here. And in spite of the sin, in spite of the damage, in spite of our vulnerabilities, in spite of all that baggage and, and wounds and, and all that. We can still begin to live the life we were meant to live here. And we're going to live forever with Jesus Christ someday without all those trials. Because he took our sin. Every unclean thing we ever have done ever thought ever said he nailed it to the cross remember when jesus touched he he touched this girl when jesus went and, and touched this girl he did something that he was not supposed to do he took her by the hand and when he and, and and it was very significant why wasn't he allowed to touch her because of the mosaic law she's dead if you touch a dead person you are unclean but jesus took her hand for a reason. He was showing that he became unclean, just like the the bleeding woman. She touched his the hem. Unclean. Just like the leper who he embraced. Unclean. It's it's a reminder that Jesus became unclean so that we could become clean. That's what he did for us on the cross. That's what he came for us for. He took our sin. He took every unclean thing you've ever done, ever thought, ever said, and he nailed it to the cross. We talked about that. He nailed it to the cross and he came back alive three days later to prove He has the power over sin. To prove he has the power over Satan. To prove he has the power over death. He proved it. Are we living that proof? Are you living that proof? Are you living that victory that Christ has given to us? Are we living by faith? Are we experiencing his transforming power in our life? It's there for the taking. It's there if we live by faith. Total dependence on him it's not easy but it's there by living by faith in fact it's impossible just like being saved by on our own is impossible but it becomes possible by putting our faith in Jesus Christ have you been saved by faith have you been saved by faith have you received his forgiveness have you received the power of Jesus Christ have you received eternal life but also the power to live a life here you can have that by putting your faith in Jesus Christ John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. Do you have eternal life? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you experienced the power over death, over sin, over Satan? Do you want this power? Right where you are today. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ. Just as he gave this girl life, he will give you eternal life right now if you put your faith in him. There's no magic prayer or magic ritual. It's a prayer from our heart to God's heart. Just say, God, I... I don't want the sin and the garbage anymore. I repent of the sin. I repent of every sin in my life that I ever have or ever will commit. I I repent of it. And I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus Christ, your son. I know he died for me. He came alive for me. I put my faith faith in him and I commit to following him I give you my life God forgive me I put my faith in Jesus and I'm going to follow him if you've prayed that prayer in faith you've just gone from being dead to alive the spirit of Jesus Christ is living inside of you and you're going to be amazed with great amazement at what he accomplishes at the transformation in your life. I want to encourage you to tell somebody. Maybe you came with a friend. Maybe you felt the card in the bulletin. Shoot me an email. Call. Let me know. Let somebody know so that we can encourage you in your new life in Jesus Christ. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? We know we've been saved by faith, but are we living by faith? In the power of Jesus Christ, are we living as our faith in that power in our life? How is the Holy Spirit convicting us, prompting us, moving in our hearts, encouraging us to live by faith? Maybe it's a, a battle with temptation. Maybe it's a battle with discouragement. Maybe it's taking a step of faith in some area of our life however the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, I pray that as we go to this time of worship and finish up with worship here, that we would really surrender to him in this. Father, we pray for your mercy and grace to do this. In Jesus' name.